today on Summit Life with J.D. Greer. I'm not what I used to be. God changed me. I didn't just have a personality adjustment. I didn't read a book. I had the power of Jesus come into me. And that's because God made Jesus who knew no sin to become my sin that I might become the righteousness of God in him. And now in him, I'm a new creation. And that means old things are passed away and behold, all things are become new. Welcome back to Summit Life with Pastor J.D. Greer. As always, I'm your host, Molly Vitovich. Today, we are going to celebrate Easter a few days early with this special Easter Sunday message from Pastor J.D. He takes us to 1 Corinthians 15 and shows us that the incredible news of the resurrection is in fact true. Jesus has entered into our greatest fear, death, and has defeated and overturned it forever. And because he lives, everything has changed. So put on your Easter best and let's begin the celebration even now. Our message today is titled, Because He Lives. Y'all listen, whether or not the resurrection is true, you should want it to be true. Tim Keller says to imagine that you got an official letter in the mail saying that a distant relative that you didn't know that well had died and left you millions of dollars. You would likely be skeptical. I mean, why would somebody that you haven't spoken to in years and did not know that well suddenly, why would they leave you suddenly um, all that money, you of all people? But I imagine that most of you would at least look into it and that you would hope that it was true. That's how the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 assumes that you and I would approach the question of the resurrection. Everything in us should want it to be true. In his biography of Steve Jobs, the iconic Apple founder, Walter Isaacson, the biographer, records that just before Steve Jobs died, Jobs was asked whether or not he believed in God. Jobs responded that throughout his life, he had had seasons where he did believe and seasons where he did not believe. But he had just sort of paused in a reflective moment and he said, as I'm now facing the prospect of my own death, he said, I find myself believing in God more and more. Why, the interviewer asked, why? And he said, because, because I just cannot accept that the body just turns off one day and then it's all over, that you're gone forever. And then one day the sun of our solar system goes out and that's the end of human history. He said, there's got to be more to it than that. I know there's more to it than that. There's something inside me that tells me there's more to it than that. We cannot be just an illusion of consciousness that arises from a fortuitous cosmic accident. Incidentally, he said, that's why he never liked to put on-off switches on Apple products. And some of you know that because it's frustrating trying to figure out how to turn the thing off. He said, it's because I don't like the concept of being able just to flip a switch and turn something completely off. And so I will say it to you again, whether or not the resurrection is true, you should want it to be true. And so the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 gives us the incredible news that it is true. Somebody has entered into our greatest fear, death. He has defeated it and he has overturned it forever. 1 Corinthians 15, three reads like this. And if you got a Bible, I would invite you to open it and maybe even take out your phone and turn it on if you promise not to look at Twitter or you know, Instagram or, or Snapchat or whatever the kids are doing now and just look at the Bible. If you'll do that, look at it. 1 Corinthians 15, three, Paul says, for I delivered to you 
as of first importance what I also received. Of all the things that I've ever said, this is the most important, Paul says. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, in accordance with the prophecies in the scriptures, no less than 3,000 places in the Old Testament that foretell the coming of Jesus, giving details about where he would be born and what he would be like and how he would live and how he would die and many, many other things. Verse four, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that, verse five, he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive if you wanna go talk to him, but some have fallen asleep, some have died. Verse seven, then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Not only is it true, Paul says, it is the core of all that we believe and all that we teach. And if it did not happen, Paul says, all the rest of Christianity is false and you might as well be at home and join a Sunday morning in your beds. He says in verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Christianity, you see, is not primarily about a better way to live. It's not about how to have a fuller or more complete life here. It is about unflinching hope in the face of death. Nor is the Christian Easter hope some kind of springtime, oh, you know, it's been a dark winter, but there's new, a new birth of better days ahead kind of hope. The Christian hope is built on the actual resurrection of Jesus. If it did not happen, there is no hope. Jesus died an actual death on an actual cross and his actual body was put into an actual grave and three actual days later, he actually walked out and left that actual tomb actually empty. And a bunch of people actually saw it. I mean, just imagine for a minute, imagine for a minute that you witnessed witness the death of one of your friends. You went to their funeral and you saw them buried. And then a week later, they come walking up to you at a Starbucks. They sit down and they have a cup of coffee and a conversation with you. That's what these experiences of the resurrection were like. They weren't dreams, they weren't visions, they were real. Well, you ask, well, how do we know that it happened? This is not a place right now that I can present to you a full-scale defense of the resurrection, but let me at least point out some of the pieces of evidence that Paul quickly goes over just to press his point. The first, he says, is the scriptures. All this happened, he said, according to prophecies in the Old Testament, literally thousands of places where the coming of the Messiah is foretold. In fact, you should just read it. If you're more in the skeptical camp, you should read it, you should study it. The coming of Jesus was communicated through direct statements and symbols and foreshadowings on nearly every page of what we call the Old Testament. Honestly, for me, this might be the most convincing evidence. It's like you are, are hearing somebody described by 30 different authors over 1,500 years, and then in the Gospels, he just shows up and you say, that's him, that's him, that's the one we've been talking about. So Paul first points to the scripture. Secondly, Paul points to a series of eyewitnesses. He says he appeared to Peter, and then after him to all the apostles. These apostles, Peter, Peter being first among them, would go to their deaths proclaiming that they had seen Jesus alive. He said, well, maybe they were lying. I mean, we all know that throughout history, lots of people have died for a lie. I mean, think about the soldiers from Russia right now. Many of them are dying for a lie. Yes, 
But people do not typically die for something they know to be a lie if they have nothing personal to gain from it. The apostles gained no power, no privilege, no prestige by claiming that Jesus had been raised from the dead. In fact, it brought them only persecution and and pain and poverty. Nor was was this just a commitment to Jesus' teachings um, that would keep them going. As As in, they believed in his teachings so much that they just wanted to see this movement take hold. And so they made up these exaggerations about his resurrection and then maintained those exaggerations until their deaths. Peter himself is a pretty convincing example, which is why Paul probably brought him up. Peter, after he had walked with Jesus for three years and literally heard everything Jesus had to teach, denied Jesus three times in the space of a few hours as Jesus was being crucified in order to save his own skin. Y'all, that same Peter, Paul says, that same one who caved in fear three times before the crucifixion, That same Peter is gonna go on to his death proclaiming that Jesus is Lord, never once caving or even changing his story. What changed the apostle Peter? He saw the resurrection. Paul said, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. That's important because some people like to dismiss the resurrection as wishful thinking or a hallucination. Kind of like when you really miss somebody and so you imagine that you see them and you even have a conversation with them. Paul says, yeah, but 500 people don't typically hallucinate at once and all see the same thing and hear the same thing and then talk later and corroborate the same story. And when Paul writes all this, all these people, most of these people are still alive. And he's like, go talk to them. Ask them to tell you the stories. Paul says, then he appeared to James. You know what's remarkable about about that reference? James was the half-brother of Jesus. According to Josephus, who was the secular Jewish historian, not a Christian, James... The half-brother of Jesus became the leader of the Jerusalem church and was stoned, according to Josephus, for his belief that Jesus was the resurrected son of God. James started out not believing that his half-brother Jesus was the Messiah. We know that. We know that because the gospels tell us that in a couple of places. They say that James and the other siblings um, did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, but something convinced James that his older brother was the son of God and worthy of worship. Question for you, how many of you have an older brother? Raise your hand right now. You got an older brother, raise your hand. What would it take to convince you that your older brother was God in the flesh and worthy of worship? You're like, son of the devil maybe, but not the son of God. What convinced James? What convinced James that his older half brother, the other son of Mary, but obviously not of God the Father, what convinced him that Jesus was the son of God? It was the resurrection. Finally, Paul says, verse eight, what about me? What about me? I was the last person who wanted Jesus to be alive. I built my life and career on him not being the son of God. And when I actually became convinced that he was the son of God, it cost me dramatically, but something happened that changed my course completely. All these things show you that this was not a fairy tale. It actually happened. And sure, you can come up with a different theory about what happened, But I'm telling you, I'm telling you that none of them are as convincing as the simple explanation that Jesus actually rose from the dead. And because that's true, Paul says, I see everything differently now. This is Summit Life with J.D. Greer. Before we dive back into today's teaching, I want to highlight a great resource that we provide our listeners with in addition to the Summit Life broadcasts. Pastor J.D. has a daily email devotional sent every Monday through Friday designed to keep you growing in your faith 
and following along with our current Summit Life teaching series. These devotionals are the perfect way to begin your day with God's Word and establish a consistent routine of spending time with Him. You can sign up for this free resource today by visiting jdgreer.com slash resources, where you'll also have access to all of Pastor JD's sermon transcripts and our complete sermon library. We're grateful to our amazing supporters for making all of this possible free of charge, and we pray that these devotionals will be a source of encouragement to you each day. Now let's get back to our teaching with Pastor JD Greer here on Summit Light. Everything differently now. Number one, because he lives... Paul says, I know that Jesus is who he says he is. Look at verse nine. Paul says, I was formerly a persecutor of the church, formerly a persecutor, but now he says, I proclaim Jesus as the son of God. Paul had previously found the message of Jesus objectionable, if not deplorable. If Jesus was the Messiah, he thought, why was there still so much pain in the world? Why, why if Jesus was really the Messiah, why was Rome still in charge? But Paul said, if Jesus was raised from the dead, then my opinions and my objections about his message are irrelevant, right? I mean, if he he was raised from the dead, he is who he says he is, and he did what he said he did. Y'all, I want to say this sensitively, but I know that there are some of you who won't come to Jesus because you have unanswered questions. In fact, maybe they're similar to Paul's questions. You say things like, if God is love, why is there still so much pain in the world? If God is real, why didn't he answer this prayer that I prayed? And I just wanna say to you, those are valid questions. And I might add, all of them asked by the Bible writers themselves. Y'all, I keep waiting for a skeptic to ask a question not already asked by a Bible writer, but I haven't found one. Did you hear that? And all my reading of all the skeptics, I keep waiting for one to ask a question about God that is not already somewhere in the Bible itself. But here's the point. If Jesus is who he says he is, then there are answers to those questions even if we don't know them yet, right? If we know Jesus was raised from the dead, that means there is an answer to my question even if I cannot grasp it yet. Years ago, I was, I was exploring the claims of Christ with a Muslim friend. And she was having the hardest time with the concept of the Trinity, that there's one God in three persons. And she said, you know, I just don't see how you could say that there is one God that exists eternally as three persons. And y'all, I tried every possible explanation and illustration in the book and nothing satisfied her. And so finally, I said to her, I said, I said, suppose that suddenly Jesus were to appear to you, to walk right up to you in this room. And he did something that convinced you that it was really him. He shared some secret about your life that only you knew or something like that. And then he looked you in the eyes and he said, listen, there is an answer to your question about the Trinity. But right now you're not gonna understand it and I'm not even gonna be able to answer it for you. I'm not gonna answer it for you. But you can see, you can see that I'm real and that I am who I say I am. I just need you to trust me with that, un- with that unanswered question for a while. And so I asked her, I said, if Jesus did that, would you trust him? And she said, well, yes, of course. And I said, so the question is not, can you ever explain the Trinity satisfactorily to me? The real question is, is Jesus who he says he is? The next morning she called me and she said, I know that Jesus was raised from the dead. In fact, my heart has known that for a while. I still don't know the answer to all my questions, she said, but I am ready to follow him and I will trust him with the answers. See, that's the same question for you. 
Is Jesus who he says he is? Listen, I know you have questions, and they're real. But if Jesus was raised from the dead, you can trust him with those questions. Some of you pride yourself on being skeptical, on doubting everything, okay? What if you doubted your doubts? What if you said, look, if Jesus was raised from the dead, maybe my doubt and my objection, as convincing as it is to me, maybe it's not as significant as I think it is. Because he lives, he is who he says he is. Number two, because he lives, we can be forgiven. I love what Paul says in verse nine. He says, for I am the least of all the apostles, unworthy even to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am now what I am. Y'all, how does a former murderer go to being one of the fathers of the church? You would think that there are certain things that would get you canceled for life in the kingdom of God. And I would think that overseeing the torture and execution and the separation of families of innocent Christians would go in that category. But, Paul said, Paul, he said, but because of the resurrection, I wasn't canceled. The resurrection meant that I could be redeemed. You see, the resurrection meant that whatever Jesus was doing on the cross had worked. The scriptures prophesied that Jesus would die for the sins of the world, that every sin ever committed would be placed upon him. This was one of the reasons his cross was so unspeakably awful. He was dying for murder and for betrayal and for dishonesty and for unselfishness and uncleanness and abuse. And because of that, Paul knew that he could be forgiven. And the resurrection means this morning that you can be forgiven too. You say, no, 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 not, not me, JD. My sin is too bad. I've turned away too many times. I think I'm beyond repair. I think I'm beyond his love now. Paul would look at you and say, are you kidding me? I was a persecutor, I was a murderer, but he was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my murders and my betrayals and my iniquities. Every family I separated, that price was put upon him and the price that would bring me peace one day was put on his head and by his stripes I was healed. And that's true for you too. On the cross, Jesus became your sin. All of it. He became your selfishness. He became your compromised integrity. He became your broken promises. He became your marital unfaithfulness. He became all those things that you have hidden and lied about. God laid those things upon him. In fact, when I was a kid, I learned it to, to think of your, your sin like this. Think of your sin. Imagine this Bible represented your sin. So that no matter how close, this is you, this is your sin. So that no matter how close you try to get to God up here, there's something that's always keeping you separated from God. You can never really bridge that gap between him. Paul says that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. The punishment for our sin was laid upon him and by his stripes I'm healed so that when Jesus died for my sin, he put it away forever so there's nothing left between me and God and now that way has been made open so that all the sin and all the things that kept me from the presence and peace of God are gone for that grave forever. I want you to think for a moment about your worst sin. I want you to think about your worst mistake. It was placed upon Jesus and he was punished for it. The penalty for our sin is death. Jesus, the perfect and innocent son of God was killed for your sin. Then his dead body got placed in a grave and three days later, the body of Jesus walked out, but your sin stayed there. 
and there your sin remains, buried in the deepest sea. I love how Corey Ten Boom, the, um, the Holocaust survivor, I love how she always said it. God put our sin in the deepest part to the deepest sea, and then he put up a sign that said, no fishing allowed. That's what he offers to you. If you choose it, you have to choose it. One of the Old Testament pictures of the coming Messiah was the yearly sacrifice that each Jewish family was required to participate in. Each year, the father of every family would bring a lamb, a perfect unblemished lamb, and he would lay that lamb on the altar, and then he would lay his hand on the head of that lamb, and he would begin to confess the sins of the family that year. And as he did that, as he confessed those sins, the priest, the Jewish priest, would slit the throat of the lamb. The picture was clear. The lamb was dying in the place of the family for the sins that they had committed. It was all a picture of the coming Messiah. And this is what we now do with Jesus. He has died on the cross for sin, but we have to place our hand of faith on his head saying, I receive you as mine. And y'all, it's not just forgiveness and a new perspective that we receive. Paul was changed. When you trust Christ, the power of the resurrection, the power that brought Jesus's dead body out of the grave actually comes into you. In Christ, the murderer becomes the lover. The racist becomes the humble servant. The cheating husband becomes the faithful father. The addict becomes the trusted friend. Paul says, by the grace of God, I now am what I am now. I'm not what I used to be. God changed me. I didn't just have a personality adjustment. I didn't read a book. I had the power of Jesus come into me. And that's because God made Jesus who knew no sin to become my sin, that I might become the righteousness of God in him. And now in him, I'm a new creation. And that means old things are passed away and behold, all things are become new. Friend, that can be true for you also today, today. Number three, because he lives, death has no more sting. In verse 55, Paul says that because of the resurrection, death is swallowed up in victory. Then Paul proclaims, oh grave, where's your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death, y'all, is its permanence. When you bury somebody that you love, you feel like you'll never see that person again, but their life is over and they're gone forever. But see, Christ has taken that sting away. On the cross, Jesus took the curse of death into himself so that now when we or a loved one enter into death, it's not permanent. It's just a transition and I don't have to be afraid of it anymore. So how are you going to live in light of the truth that our Savior lives? Don't forget, you can re-listen to today's teaching or anything from our entire sermon catalog free of charge at jdgreer.com. All thanks to the generosity of our gospel partners. Pastor J.D., we're really excited to offer this latest resource, the Gospel Flipbook, to our Summit Life family. But tell us, what is so special about it? You know, Molly, years ago, this old preacher named D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, the secret to longevity in the Christian faith is driving the gospel deep in your heart. Right. He was actually talking about the parable of the seeds. And he said, you know, there's some seeds that spring up quickly. And he's like, why does why does some gospel seeds spring up quickly, but when the sun comes out or the, the weeds of materialism or persecution grow around it, why does some seed die and when some seed survive? And he said, the difference is some seed is driven deep into the soil and some seed stays on the surface. Yes. So what we've done is we've provided a resource that will help you drive those gospel seeds down deep. 
It's a gospel flip book that is organized around Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that it's like a set of flashcards that go along with your reading of the, the gospels. It gives you what I'm going to say is a revolutionary thought. It's going to couple it with a key verse, a key insight, some information about some chapters in the gospel that you're reading in, in, in a quiet time plan. You'll be amazed how much deeper the gospel is in your heart and how much more it's shaped how you think and how you talk and how you act. We would love to partner with you in this way. If you'll reach out to us with a gift, then we would love to, to give you this tool. You can reach out to us at jdgreer.com. The Gospel Flipbook is as practical as anything we've ever offered to our listeners. Think of it like a set of flashcards meant to help you remember all that you're unpacking. And what better time to focus on the Gospels than right now, Easter season. To receive your copy, give a gift by calling 866-335-5220 or by visiting jdgreer.com today. Your support is essential to our mission, and we are so grateful for every contribution. I'm Molly Vitovich, reminding you to join us tomorrow as Pastor J.D. Greer brings us to the conclusion of our Easter message called Because He Lives, right here on Summit Life. Today's program was produced and sponsored by J.D. Greer Ministries.